Well, good morning, River Glen. How are you guys doing? It's good to see you guys. Hey, if you don't know me and I've been gone long enough, there's probably some new people here that don't. Like Logan said, my name is Brandon Stevenson, and for almost eight years, from 2009 to 2017, I had the privilege of being on staff here at River Glen in a number of different roles. And then in uh, January 1st 20, of 2017, my wife Danielle and I, along with our three sons, Noah, Drew, and Kobe, we went back to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where my wife and I are from, to start a new church. A church that you, River Glen, have been our biggest support, our biggest uh, sender to make that happen. And then on March 18th of this year, one church launched uh, in Pittsburgh, and we couldn't have gotten there without you guys. So thank you so much for being a part of it. Absolutely. Give yourself a round of applause for that. It was a crazy long, um, over a year, a crazy journey to even get it launched. Then we launched on March 18th, and some of you were there with us that day, and I'm so thankful that you uh, drove uh, from, from Wisconsin to be with us on our launch day, and it's been a crazy awesome journey since, and it's so cool uh, to be back here. So thank, thank you for what you're doing through your prayers, your support, your generosity, and what God is doing uh, with us and through us with One Church in the Chartres Valley area. Uh, it's pretty cool to see, but I'm really pumped to be back here this weekend with my family, the kids and Danielle, they're pumped to be back here. I'm excited to teach uh, at these services as well. Uh, this past spring, uh, my buddies from college and I got together for our annual guys uh, weekend. And we, the host this year, my buddy, he lives in Ohio, about an hour from Canton, Ohio. And we realized that's close. That's where the Pro Football Hall of Fame is. Let's go. And so we went as a group of guys to the Hall of Fame in Ohio. And that was the first time I had ever been there. And it was just a really, uh, really cool experience. We get to walk through there and see the history of football and see all these cool artifacts with the game that we like to watch and talk about so much. And it was really cool just walking through uh, the Hall of Fame gallery where all the Hall of Fame busts of the greatest players who ever played the game, they, they reside. And, and these are the best of the best. And it was such a cool experience that day. And, and really the only negative I could find throughout the day is that there were more Packer Hall of Fame busts than Steeler Hall of Fame busts. So... I'll eat my humble pie, enjoy your moment. Uh, But it was such a really cool day to experience that. But what was crazy, when we first got there, right when we pulled up, I get kind of annoyed because there are four coach buses that get there right before us. I'm thinking, it's going to be so crowded today. But off these buses comes all these kids in these jerseys, and we find out that they are the Ohio Ohio High School football player all-stars. Like These are the best high school players in Ohio, and they are there that weekend to play a game in Cannes at the Hall of Fame Stadium right there beside the the Hall of Fame, and, um, it's, and these are the best of the best when it comes to high school football players in Ohio, and it actually turned out to be a really cool experience because we were walking through with them, and here are these kids with all these skills, all these talents, all these aspirations, and they are learning and talking about and seeing the greatest to ever play this sport that they love so much themselves. And you can hear the conversations going on and talking about these these players who played their position at such a high level. And they were inspired by these Hall of Famers. They They were amazed by how good these guys were and inspired them to play and work even harder to get where they wanted to get themselves. It was a really cool experience that day. And it's good to be inspired to follow others in the journey that we're taking in life. We need examples and stories of others to inspire us and remind us the path we take in life is not only worth it, but it's also possible to live out. And this is exactly why you've been going through this series recently called The Incredibles here at River Glen. You know, throughout this series, you're looking at different people listed in Hebrews chapter 11 of the Bible and the incredible faith that they had. Now, we don't know exactly who wrote uh, this letter of Hebrews, but we do know that the writer knew their audience really well. In fact, he wrote specifically to help them when it came to this idea of faith because the audience who was receiving this letter 
they were dealing with persecution because of the, of the faith they professed in Jesus. And one of the difficult things when it comes to having faith in Jesus is we have all these promises and assurance that come from God in our faith in Jesus. But some of those promises, we don't see them until a long way out. Sometimes we don't see those promises fulfilled this side of death. And so it can be a long, crazy journey and it can be difficult when life gets in the way and persecution gets in the way. And these guys who are receiving this letter, they're about to give up on their faith, but the writer is writing them to encourage them, to remind them of why faith is worth it. And he specifically reminds them in Hebrews chapter 11, first by telling them, reminding them what faith is in and of itself, where he says in Hebrews 11.1, he says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is trusting and having hope in what's to come. And then the writer lists a bunch of people who lived out their faith in crazy, incredible ways. And in fact, a lot of times Hebrews 11 in the Bible is kind of nicknamed the Hall of Faith. Kind of like the play off of the Hall of Fame. It's the Hall of Faith. This is our reminder and our inspiration of the people who have gone before us and done it in incredible ways to live out their faith. The best of the best. The incredibles that trust the God in the midst of their crazy circumstances. They are incredible people for us to look up to and be inspired by. But by no means were these people listed in Hebrews chapter 11 perfect. They were extremely flawed. And what makes them incredible isn't whether they were perfect or not, but what made them incredible was that they chose to trust a perfect God. And this is so important for us to understand as we keep going through this series because it's that fact that allows us to be a reminder that we can be more relatable with this list of the Hall of Faith, these guys that we're talking about, these guys and girls. And we can approach them and approach this life that we're trying to follow them into of trusting and following God no matter what our circumstances are. Because just like the recipients of the letter of Hebrews, we need the same reminding because so often faith is not an easy thing to live out. There are barriers and there are flaws and they get in the way. And so we need to be reminded and, re and, and inspired by the people of this hall of faith. Because faith is something that's important but it's difficult. And the tension we're all going to deal with no matter where you are today. And maybe you're someone here, you, you identify as someone who follows Jesus. You're a Christian, you're trying to live out this faith. Or maybe you're someone here, you're trying to figure it out still. You're exploring it, you've got questions, you've got tensions with it. But all of us need to do this because whether we're in faith or going to be in faith one day. We have to deal with the tension is can our faith be greater than the flaws and barriers in our lives? And that's what we're wrestling with today. And the incredible person we're going to look at is a man by the name of Isaac. Now Isaac was the son of Abraham and that was a big deal because Isaac became the fulfilled promise from God to Abraham that his lineage would continue and that lineage would eventually become a nation that would bless the entire world. And in Hebrews 11, we just see this simple, quick reference to Isaac and the faith that he has where the writer says in 11.20, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Now that doesn't give us a lot to go on. It's just this one quick sentence. Isaac blessed two people, his sons, about their future. And so the question is, why is this worthy to be mentioned in the Hall of Faith? Like this is the best of the best. Why is this little moment so important? And so for us, we're going to go back into this story to dig into this and kind of figure out what the background was to this quick little sentence in Hebrews 11. And so a little bit about Isaac, because Isaac grew up and he married this woman named Rebecca, and they had twin boys, Esau and Jacob. And that's where the trouble started, because trouble usually starts when kids enter the world, because that's what they do, right? Uh, that's what my kids do. So uh, you know, he grew up, he married Rebecca, they had twin boys, and when Rebecca was pregnant with these twins, she was dealing with a lot of pain and discomfort. Now, I'm no expert in this, but I'm guessing there was pain and discomfort, discomfort because there was humans growing inside of her. Now, I've never done that myself, but I've heard it's kind of uncomfortable. 
uncomfortable. But she's dealing with the kind of more pain and discomfort than maybe what was normal. And God eventually approached her and told her this prophecy that actually her twins were fighting in the womb. And so, like, I think of my kids fighting now outside of the womb as they're here on this planet. But I couldn't even imagine them, like, fighting inside. Like, if I was Rebecca, I'd say, you know what, can we send them back? They're ridiculous right now. Um, but they're fighting, and, he, and God prophesied that these two twins were not only fighting in the womb, they were going to fight for their entire lives. And they were going to lead these lives where they had tension and rivalry against each other. And God even said that the older son, Esau, would actually serve the younger son, Jacob. And Jacob would be the one that would continue in the lineage to serve God's purposes to rescue and restore the world. Now, this was a big deal in that day because the eldest son always received the greater inheritance, the greater blessings, the greater responsibilities. But according to God in this moment, it was going to be flip-flop where the younger would receive those things. So the twins are born, and everything God was said was coming true. And on top of that, it also played into this like, weird family dynamic is Isaac had favoritism towards his oldest son, Esau. You see, Isaac and Esau were more alike. I, uh, Esau was a hunter. He was more of like a manly man, and that, and that vibe he kind of put out. And Isaac related to that more, so he had favoritism towards that. Now, Jacob was a little more simple, a simpler man. He was, uh, he was a gatherer. He was a farmer. And Rebecca, the mother, had an affinity towards him. So there's favoritism playing out in the family, which always creates chaos. And Rebecca favored Jacob, and maybe because he was more like her, or maybe because of the prophecy that God gave her, and she remembers that. But they have this playing out. And so Isaac and Rebecca are raising these two twins, and they're fighting, and it's a mess. And Jacob actually got Esau to sell him his birthright, which got him a bunch of more stuff in his life, for a bowl of stew. Esau was hungry, he was starving, and so Jacob's just like, here, I'll give you this food, but I need your birthright, and he sold it to him, and this is just a crazy situation because Jacob is sly, he's resourceful, and you talked about that a couple weeks ago when Ben was talking about him, and Esau, he was kind of like this, this kind of stupid guy, like he was prideful, he was arrogant, he didn't really care about his faith, as evident that he kept marrying women outside of their faith. And these are some crazy kids that Isaac and Rebecca are, are raising. And I have crazy kids, but I look at this story and I feel for Isaac and Rebecca in this moment. These kids are nuts. So these kids and Isaac, they're getting towards the end of Isaac's life now. And Isaac is about uh, to have this crazy situation play out. That's like one part humans just acting all crazy and one part God doing his thing and continuing his work to rescue and restore the world. Now this story is long, so I'm not going to go every verse through it, but I'm going to talk uh, through a couple of verses to explain more, so follow with me here. In Genesis 27, 1 through 4, it says this. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for his son Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. Here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then get your equipment and your quiver and bow and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. So Isaac is old, he's blind, he's close to his death, he doesn't know when that day is coming. And as the custom of the day was, he needed to bless his children before he left this earth. And now these blessings, they were, they were more of like a future prophecy to them. It was essentially a father speaking into his children about the direction their lives were about to take. And so Isaac is about to do this, and naturally he calls for Esau. Number one, Esau is the oldest child, so he's going to get the major blessing. And he's also Isaac's favorite child. So he calls to him and says, hey, go get your, your, your quiver and your bow. Go kill some game. Make me a meal that you know I like. And in that moment, I'll bless you. So Isaac's kind of asking for this last kind of special moment between him and his favorite and his oldest son, Esau. 
So Esau heads out to go hunting to get uh, the game so he can make the meal. And Rebekah, the mother, overhears this conversation take place. And she immediately runs to Jacob and says, listen, your father's about to, to bless Jacob, but you need to do something so you can get the blessing. So here's what you need to do, Jacob. Go to the farm, get two young goats, bring them to me. I'll make a meal, and you can go in, pretend to be Esau, and so you can get the blessing from your father. Kind of shady, Right? And so Jacob even pushed back against his mom for a moment and said, listen, mom, no way. What if he finds out that it's me? If he finds out that I'm, I'm tricking him, he'll curse me. And that's way worse than not even receiving a blessing. And Rebecca, the mom, said, then let the curse fall on me. You need to do this. And so Jacob goes and he gets the, uh, the goats and, and Rebecca prepares the meal. And the question is, why is Rebecca doing this? Like, this is weird. And maybe it's because she just has favoritism towards Jacob but doesn't really say. Or maybe she remembers the prophecy that God gave her that he would serve his older brother. And so she's doing this to make that happen. Whatever the case may be, she is pushing this story along to make this plan happen. And so she cooks the meal. Then she puts Esau's clothes on Jacob so he would smell like Esau. But Jacob even pushed back and said, listen, mom, like dad's going to know. Esau's a hairy man. I'm not a hairy man. He's going to know. And so Rebecca gets goat skin and puts it on Jacob's hands so he can be a hairy man, which is just crazy, right? But this is what happens. And so then Jacob goes with the plan, and he goes to Isaac, and Isaac's like, who is it? And Jacob said, it's me, Esau, lying to his father. And and Isaac couldn't believe how fast Esau was back from his hunt and prepared the meal for him. And and, and Jacob just simply said, well, the Lord was favorable. He blessed me, and there's just this lying and deceit. And then Isaac calls uh, who he thinks is Esau over to him and says this in 22 and 24. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. And Jacob replied, I am. And so Jacob lies again. Isaac even questioned it. It sounded like his son Jacob's voice, but he had the hairy hands like Esau. What's going on here? And so he simply just says, are you Esau? And Jacob says, yes. And so the big moment then happens where Isaac blesses him, verses 27 and 29. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed. May those who bless you be blessed. And so Isaac gives this blessing to Jacob, even though he thinks it's Esau. His blessing includes this future that includes nations and people, including his older brother, serving and bowing down to him. And if anyone went against him, they would be cursed themselves. Now, it's an easy question to go and think, easily think that in our culture, it's like, so, so what? That wasn't really Esau he was talking about. Why would that blessing count? He, Jacob was tricking him. He was you know, purposely trying to bless Esau, but it wasn't Esau. Why would that count? But the thing is, the blessing we see here in this culture was something of extreme value and would basically become like a legal binding agreement moving forward. You see, right after that blessing then, as, as Jacob receives that blessing, he leaves and then Esau comes into the scene, and he brings the meal from the hunt he just, the game he just got, and prepare it for his father. And Isaac's like, "Who are you?" And Esau tells him, "It's me, your son Esau." And Isaac is stunned. 
Verse 33 even says, Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came in, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. And Isaac tells him that he just blessed somebody else. And so he's wondering, who are you? And he's, 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 he's trembling violently because this crazy situation is playing out. And he tells Esau that he blessed somebody else. And that blessing would stay true because it was like a legally binding agreement. Jacob would be lord over Esau based off the blessing that just happened. It was done. And then this difficult scene plays out where Esau becomes emotional. He becomes angry. He becomes bitter. His brother, who he's had this rivalry with his entire life, had just taken something so important from him for a second time. And he started begging and pleading and crying to Isaac to bless him too. Because this was Esau's future hanging in the balance here. He was the oldest. He was the, he was the favorite. He was the one that was going to receive the blessings, receive the inheritance. He was the one who was supposed to be lord over his younger brother. This was his future hanging in the balance. So he he is an emotional wreck right now, and he's pleading to his dad, you've got to bless me. You've got to bless me. What is going on here? This can't happen. He couldn't have taken something else from me. And Isaac did give him a blessing after that, but not the blessing that Esau wanted. Isaac blessed him in a way that told him that his futures would not include riches and that his future would be full of hostility and tension. And this is the scene that plays out. This is the story full of lies, deceit, weird costumes, emotions. And it's hard for us to even grasp it today because these aren't things we deal with. Like, we're not going to turn on the news tonight and the news anchor is going to be like, tonight on Channel 4, a family left broken because the youngest son tricked his father by wearing goat skin. Like, that doesn't happen, at least in Wisconsin. Maybe somewhere further south. But, like, not here. Okay. I mean, what is going on here? Like, but here's something to remember about the story as we're talking about it. Isaac is in the hall of faith for his actions here. He is commended along with some of the greatest people of faith the world has ever seen. And the reason we're talking about him today is because he is incredible. And my question is, how? I mean, first of all, this dude doesn't even know his children. I mean, I get that he's old and blind, but how do you not know the difference of their voices and their personalities? I mean, how, 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 couldn't he just ask them a different question rather than just, just saying, are you Esau? Jacob's like, yeah, down to Esau. Okay, sure. Like, couldn't he be attested it more? Like, where's his due diligence to make sure he's doing the right thing here? And why didn't he just take the blessing back? I get that it was tradition of the day, but he was tricked by his son. I'm sorry, if one of my kids did that to me, I'd probably send them back here to live with you guys because I don't want to deal with them anymore. If this, so why couldn't he just take it back because he was lied? It was deceitful. Why couldn't he say, you know, you lied to me. It was deceitful. I'm going to give it to Esau like it's rightfully supposed to be his. But yet Isaac gives the blessing and he goes through with it. He trusts God in what was to come and that was actually why he was incredible. Isaac isn't in the hall of faith because he was a great father. He wasn't. He isn't listed in Hebrews 11 because he knew what he was doing. He didn't. No, we're talking about him today because he had an incredible faith to trust God to work out the blessings giving. You see, in the midst of this crazy situation, Isaac was this extremely flawed individual. You see, Isaac had failures. He failed. He failed as a father. His favoritism for Esau was a failure. It's not something a parent should ever practice because it sets up them as a parent and the children involved, sets them all up for failure. He failed as a husband with his wife tricking him too in this. He failed in his faith because all along God said that Jacob would be lord over Esau, and yet he still tried to give the blessing to Esau. Leading up to this moment, Isaac failed in, this, in his faith. He failed in trying to give his blessing to Esau and giving it to Jacob. Instead, he failed many, many times. Isaac also had fear. 
fear in what just happened, fear in what was to come. Fear creeps in when we aren't in control anymore and we don't know what's going to happen. And in this moment, there is fear uh, to the point where he was trembling violently. Fear cripples faith. And in this moment, Isaac had feelings. A lot of feelings were involved, and we can't dismiss that. Isaac, or Esau, was Isaac's favorite son. He was the oldest. He was more like him, and his feelings led him to lean towards Esau, despite Esau's own crazy failings himself. In fact, later in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews describes Esau as being godless. He wasn't a good son. Feelings easily sway us to act upon them, and the problem is feelings can lead us astray from the direction God wants us to go. And Isaac had all of these, these barriers, these flaws that can easily kill faith. But it was Isaac's choosing faith over his failure, over his fears, and over his feelings that made him incredible. It was after this crazy situation happened, he chose to trust God over trying to change it himself. And this is what made him incredible. And it's moments like these that you and I will have to make decisions on numerous occasions in our lives. Life is chaotic. Things happen that throw us out of rhythm. It causes stress. It causes anxiety. But a life following Jesus doesn't eliminate these crazy, difficult moments. Our lives will be full of difficulties. However, it's in these moments we have to choose to trust the promises of God or to let our flaws and barriers prevent us from living the life that he has for us. Life's going to throw you curveballs. Life's not going to be perfect. It will not be easy. But there is a way to live this life to the fullest, however, and that is through trusting and following Jesus. It's through faith in Jesus and nothing else. And the question for all of us here today is whether we will choose that faith or choose something else. Because just like Isaac, you and I have the same things. We have failures. You've screwed up. You failed God, you failed in your relationships, and maybe you failed in your own parenting. Maybe you have a tendency to favor one child over another. Or maybe you failed in an addiction, or maybe you failed in the past, or maybe you're failing right now, and we're all going to fail in the future. I mean, this is a really happy message, right? So glad they brought Brandon back. But you failed. And what failure loves to do with us is tell us and remind us that we're not good enough, that we don't measure up. Failure loves to whisper to us, you don't measure up and you don't deserve the life that God has for you right here and now. You don't deserve his grace. You don't deserve his forgiveness. You don't deserve life to the fullest. But God's promise is that he is greater than your worst failures. Do you trust that? And just like Isaac, we have fears. Fear of the unknown. Fear of not being in control, fear of not having enough money or stuff, fear of losing loved ones, fear of not being in comfort, fear of failure. Fear can cripple us as we move forward. Fear can cripple our faith. Fear causes us to want to control things instead of trusting God to control what's unknown in our future. But again, God promises that faith in him is stronger than the fear within. And do you trust that? And just like Isaac, we have feelings, feelings that can deceive us from trusting God. Now, guys in the room right now who I mentioned that you have feelings, you're probably like, I don't have feelings. Yes, you do. We all do. In fact, the resistance that, to even admit that you don't have feelings is actually a feeling in and of itself. Embrace it. Guys, embrace your feelings. But we have feelings towards different things. Maybe we have a feeling of wanting to stay comfortable, wanting to stay in control. Maybe we have feelings of wanting to stay in a relationship that you and I both know isn't healthy. Feelings of wanting to please people around you instead of serving God. So because we want to please everybody, we miss the opportunities that God has for us right in front of us. See, feelings, they can be good, but they can also deceive us if they're not placed in the right thing. If they're placed in something other than trusting God, they're going to lead us astray from trusting God. 
But God promises, his promises that feelings do not lead us to life. Faith leads us to life. Do you trust that? So I'll never tell you that faith is easy. It's full of promises that we don't experience until way down the road. Sometimes not even this side of death. But faith is the thing that God is looking for uh, in us that allows him to lead us to a life both to the fullest now and into the future. In fact, that's the one thing I want you to walk away with today. Each week at One Church, I'm bringing a little One Church flavor with us today. At One Church, every talk we give, we land on what we call the one thing. And basically what that means is if you remember nothing else that I've said today, I want you to remember the one thing. So the one thing at One Church, I know we're super creative at One Church, but that's what we do. And the one thing I want you to walk away with today is this. Faith is trusting that God is greater than my failures, fears, and feelings. In the midst of the chaos, we may not know the outcome. We don't know what the future is. But God's promises are greater than the chaos that gets in the way. And do you trust him in that? Do you trust that faith in him is greater than your failures, your fears, and your feelings? This is something we are seeing and experiencing with One Church. We are five months into this thing since we launched in March. And it's crazy. It's a grind. We're meeting new people. We're trying to help them to belong, to explore, and to serve on mission with us, to work as one, to help people follow Jesus. And it's a crazy, grinding, difficult, but awesome journey. In the midst of this, we've had our own failures, fears, and feelings. We've had moments of failure in connecting with people to help them know how much God loves them to live out their mission, and we've missed that. Now, this is going to happen. We're going to miss opportunities. We're going to fail. But it doesn't mean we stop. And we have fears. We have fears of, will we grow enough to keep the mission going? Will the school kick us out one day? Fears can creep in, and that can cripple our faith moving forward as a church. And we have feelings that get in the way because we're tired, we're distracted, and simply don't want to sacrifice anymore for our own comforts. All these things are there in the chaos. But are we going to choose those things of uh, failures, fear, and feelings, or are we going to choose faith? Are we going to trust that God is greater than all those things? Like when Jordan and Lindsay started coming to one church. Lindsay came week one at our launch, and in Jordan's words, she dragged him and their one-year-old son week two. They both grew up in religious uh, settings but hadn't engaged in it since they were kids. Jordan readily admits that there is nothing good he has to say about his upbringing in that. And he's not sure what to do with this whole faith in Jesus thing. But he's coming each and every week now with his, with his wife and son. And he tells me that should say something about what we're doing. And I trust him on that. They've come every week since we've launched, and and, and, and in early uh, July, they actually dedicated their one-year-old son, James, for him to know and follow Jesus as he grows up and gets older. It's for reasons like Jordan and Lindsay that we'll keep choosing faith over our failures, fears, and feelings as a church. So what's it for you? What are the moments where you need to choose faith over something else? And maybe it's you, Pewaukee campus team. You're a week out from starting your practice services. You're about to leave this campus to go to your new one. And trust me, I know it can be running through your mind right now. You start thinking, what if this thing doesn't work? What if we fail? What if my failures hold me back from playing into this role that God is calling me to at this campus? And I know the fear that can creep in. It's a scary step to make a change like this, to leave something you're so comfortable with here at this campus. Fear of the unknown can cripple your faith. Fear can lead you to not want to take a step of faith. And I know the feelings that you have that have to be running through you. You've had so many memories here at this campus, so many great friendships and great moments, and there's people here that you love that you're going to leave behind, not like for good, but because you're going to go serve at a different campus. 
You love your role here. You love the comfort here. I know those feelings. Remember when I left, I was a feeling blubbering mess up here. I was dropping feelings all over this, this stage. I get it. But you're about to embark on a crazy faith-filled journey that helps make more and better followers of Jesus happen in the Pewaukee area. You don't know exactly what's going to happen, but that faith will lead to stories like Jordan and Lindsay at your campus. And God's kingdom will keep winning because of the faith that you are taking steps out on. That faith is stronger than anything else that can get in the way. So please remember that. So as you head out of this campus and start the new one, be inspired by the incredible people of faith that have gone before you. And be incredible yourself at that campus. Or maybe it's a personal decision you have to make. Maybe you're here and you've been wrestling with, or maybe you're watching online, wrestling with this idea of putting your faith in Jesus for the first time. You've had questions, you've had doubts, you've had struggles, and you still don't have those all, all answered, but you're ready to go, you know what? I don't have it all figured out, but I'm going to take a step of faith right now to trust Jesus for the first time. Maybe that's what you have to do today. You need to talk to somebody about that. Or maybe it's a decision to trust God in your finances more. The fear of not having enough and then the feelings of having control, they get in the way. Maybe you have to say, you know what, God, you've given me these things and these resources and this stuff to be a part of your greater mission for my life and the people around me. Maybe I need to trust you more in that. Or maybe you have to trust God more in your relationships or, or maybe trusting God to joining a life group or maybe, especially you Waukesha campus that stays here, maybe you need to trust God by taking a step by joining a serve team. Listen, as the crew of the Pewaukee campus heads out, there are going to be lots of holes they leave behind on different teams and ministries here at the Waukesha campus. If you're here and you're not involved, maybe it's time for you to take a step and get involved and be a part of this thing. Sure, it's scary. Sure, there's feelings there. And sure, maybe if you feel like you're not good enough, but this is the best time to do it because you're needed. And God's asking you to be a part of what he's doing here at River Glen, the Waukesha campus. This is the best time for you to jump in. You see, there are a lot of steps of faith that everyone can take and needs to take, but are you going to choose to trust God in that? Are you going to trust your failures, fears, and feelings instead? Isaac chose faith in blessing his sons, and that faith made him incredible. Through Jacob came the 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, and through those 12 tribes of Israel came the nation of Israel, which would become, uh, lead to this lineage that would eventually lead to Jesus. You see, when Isaac chose to trust God in that blessing to Jacob, that blessing eventually led to Jesus. And Jesus was the one the Incredibles were all hoping for. They just didn't see him in their lifetime. But their faith was based on God fulfilling that promise. The writer of Hebrews actually says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the hall of faith, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the reason we can trust God over everything else that gets in the way. We, he is the promise fulfilled that Isaac, Joseph, Noah, everyone, every incredible you've been talking about, that's what they all hope for. And when we trust Jesus, when we follow Jesus, our faith becomes stronger, more perfect, and the things that get in the way won't slow us down anymore. They won't tangle us. We're no longer slaves to our failures, our fears, and our feelings, but we have a trust, we have a faith in God who has something so much better for us. That's what trusting in Jesus leads us to. Isaac is in the hall of faith not because he was perfect, but because in the midst of the chaos, he chose faith in God over everything else. He was incredible, and he should inspire us to be incredible too. Isaac was far from perfect. He had flaws. He had failures. But in a critical moment, he chose faith. He trusted God, and it's like he made one play. 
He had all this baggage behind him, but in that moment, he made one play, and that put him in the hall of faith. So maybe you need to make one play, one step of faith today, whatever it may be. Because people in Waukesha, people in Pewaukee, people in Pittsburgh, as one church's service is going on right now as I speak, they need incredible people who are choosing faith in the midst of the chaos around us. That's what's going to inspire others to choose the same. So be incredible. Not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. Because there are people who need that to see it in us. And we need that. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for today. And the life that you've given us. And and this amazing church that I love so much, God. Thank you for allowing us to come back to be with these these amazing family and friends that we have here at Riverland, God. But I, I pray that we more than anything else, will choose you to choose to trust you over our failures, fears, and feelings, God, because that's what you're calling us to. And there were incredible people that went before us, and we are standing on their shoulders because of who you are, because of your promises, because of Jesus. God, help us to trust that because there's no greater life that we can live than trusting you amidst all the chaos. God, we love you. Thank you for your son. It's your name we pray. Amen.